If you have your Bibles, if you'd open them to James chapter 5. And if you'd like as well, you could open it to 1 Kings 17 and keep your finger there. We'll come to it later. This is the second Sunday of 2021. And as we stand at the beginning of a new year, what should we be thinking as God's people? Well, last Sunday and today, I've chosen a passage from the last chapter of James. It's a conclusion of his letter, which is actually a sermon. Chapter 1 is the introduction. Chapter 5 is the conclusion. And in this passage, at the end, he, he goes back to what he started with in chapter 1. Patience, perseverance, and prayer. And I would argue that at the beginning of this new year, prayer is key. It always is, but at the beginning of the year, perhaps we should be reminded. It may, in fact, be that prayer is not seen as important as it should be, living when and where we do. In a secularized society, prayer is simply technique. It's reduced to technique, how to pray and get what you want. In a pluralistic society, it's one of many options. Pray and keep your fingers crossed. In a privatized world, prayer is reduced to something you do for yourself. Private prayer. But while these all may be true, they may also be excuses for the reality that often we don't miss prayer when we don't pray. There doesn't seem to be something missing if in a day we have not prayed. What does James tell us about prayer? If you look at verse 13, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So I mentioned last week there are four sections to this passage, the praying individual in verse 13, and then verses 14 and 15, the praying elders. Verse 16, the first half, the praying friends. And then lastly, the praying prophet. Um, last Sunday, before we looked at the passage, we considered the background, the letter, the sermon, and the verses that come before this. That is, dealing with patience and perseverance. Today, before examining the passage, I think it would be helpful for us to answer the simple question, what is prayer? What does it mean to pray? As we've seen before, prayer is talking to God. But more than that, it is a dialogue. It is a two-way conversation. And if prayer is a dialogue with God, who begins the conversation? This is critical. Um, It colors the way we look at prayer, the way we think of prayer, the way we pray. If we think it all starts with us, I think we'll really be off. If you go back to the beginning, who spoke first? We see God speaking in creation, let there be light, and there was light. So it is important for us to recognize that prayer is, in fact, 
answering speech. It is not something that begins with us. It is, in fact, in response to what God has said, sometimes with words, sometimes through circumstances, sometimes through scripture. And I'm convinced, though James doesn't say so directly, that this is what James has in mind in this passage. Last week, we looked at the praying individual. Verse 13, is any one of you in trouble? The King James has, is any one of you afflicted? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. James here sets two extremes, the two extremes, if you wish, of the human condition and how we are supposed to act when we are afflicted and when everything is going well, when we are happy. As I said last week, the natural response when things aren't going well, when we are afflicted, is either anger or rebellion against God. Why has God allowed this to happen? Why does God not do something? And the things that we should be doing as the people of God, we, we simply forget, including prayer. James needs to remind us, in the midst of affliction, we should pray. When things are going well, we also tend to forget the things that we should do. Either we are complacent or lazy, or we simply assume that everything is fine and, and we'll be okay. And we abandon certain activities, including praise. In reality, in both circumstances, the Lord is speaking to us, and we should listen. We should listen and respond. So James says, are you afflicted? You should pray. You should respond. God has spoken through your circumstances. You should respond. Are you happy? Then sing songs of praise. And there's some controversy of this, but I think it was St. Augustine who said that he who sings a hymn prays twice. That singing is, in fact, a form of praying. So when God has blessed you, if you wish, if things are going well, if you are happy, God is spoke, he's speaking to you, and you should respond in praise. Prayer acknowledges that God is sufficient. Praise acknowledges that God has used his power to appoint and to arrange our circumstances. In either case, God is our sufficiency. We look to him because he has begun the conversation. Having set the principle that prayer and praise is in fact dialogue rather than a monologue, it's a dialogue which God initiates, James now moves on to the two middle sections in which he speaks of others joining in on the conversation. It isn't simply God speaking to Damon and Damon responds in prayer. There are other times when, in fact, Dave and Tom, Gideon, the rest of us, Tess, and join in the conversation. The first case is that of the elders in verses 14 and 15. Um, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Here we come to what is considered one of the most fascinating passages in the book of James. And there has been no shortage of controversy, difference of opinion as to what is intended here. What James has done, though, if you look at verse 13, he talks about being afflicted, okay? This is a general experience of 
suffering, of being afflicted, to a particular situation. And this situation is that of illness, of sickness. Because being afflicted doesn't necessarily mean you're sick. But here he is very specific about it. What he envisions is that a member of the congregation who is sick has called the elders. The elders, uh, the local leaders of the church, and they are to pray for this person in faith, and they are to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And we are told that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and that if sin is involved, the person will be forgiven. From the earliest days of the church, it was the custom to appoint elders. They are to be leaders in the congregation, also known as overseers. Just a side note, we've talked about this before. Elders is from the Greek word presbyteroi, Presbyterian. I think this speaks to qualifications. To be an elder means that there's a certain level of maturity. Overseers comes from the Greek word episkopoi, episcopalian refers to function. That is, they have the responsibility of overseeing the people of God. Okay. So someone is sick and this person calls for the elders. Okay. And the elders are to pray and they are to anoint this person with oil. On the face of it, if this person is healed, this might seem to be perhaps miraculous or simply the providence of God in bringing healing to the person's life. I think we should not say one versus the other or eliminate one because we go to the other. Some would say that we no longer need this passage so that if in fact somebody is sick, if James were alive today, he would say, is any one of you sick? He should call the doctor. Forget the elders, forget the anointing with oil or prayer, just go to the doctor. The reality is, in the New Testament, we find the acceptance of medicine and medical skills. Uh, the Samaritan, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, came upon someone who had been ambushed, and he applied oil and wine, using the, medicine, the medicinal knowledge of his day, oil to soothe and wine to cleanse. Luke is referred to by Paul as the beloved physician. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Timothy was urged by Paul in light of his frequent illnesses to add a little wine to his diet. Let's be very clear. In our day, the abundance, the availability, the, the effectiveness of medicine is a marvelous illustration of the grace of God and the goodness of God. And we should always be thankful. At the same time, particularly in light of verse number 13, we should refer all of our life experiences to the God from whom they came. Praise in times of well-being and prayer in times of affliction or sickness. When we go to the doctor, if you should, you should go to the doctor, our eyes are to be the Lord. When we take something for pain, we should acknowledge that it is the Lord that makes it work. In chapter 1, James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. We should also remember that there is a spiritual dimension to healing. At no time should we approach a doctor or medicine without having first approached God. But there are times, and this is what James is writing about, 
when it seems that medicine isn't the primary need. Okay. There is a person who is sick and they have made a request that the elders come and pray over him. Uh, the illness is not a small matter. It's not a passing issue. Um, but as James sees it, the elders go. The person doesn't go to the elders. The elders go to this person. They do the praying. In verse number 13, we are to pray for ourselves. But here the elders join the conversation. They pray for this person. And the faith of the elders, the faith that the elders exercise, is what will bring healing. When we did the series on miracles, you may remember the one man who was lowered down through the roof. When Jesus saw their faith, the friends who lowered him, he healed the man. So it is, in fact, possible for us to have faith for others, to join in the conversation and say to God, in faith, we believe that you can heal this person. Now, it may be, and James allows for the possibility, that this person has sinned, and that's why sickness has come upon this person. On his sickbed, he's become aware of this. The Bible does not teach that sickness, all sickness, is a result of sin, okay? But there are instances where we find that that may be the case. In John chapter 5, when Jesus healed the paralytic, the man at the pool of Bethesda, he saw him later and he said, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man doesn't respond like, what sin? I, I did. And his silence, I think, speaks volumes. He realized that, in fact, God had brought sickness upon him to get his attention. Okay. It is possible that in times of illness, it can be a period of self-examination. And perhaps in this way, as James sees it, a person may become aware of a particular sin or sins in his or her life, and therefore they call for the elders. The sick person may come to realize that, boy, this is not just about my body, but this is about my spirit as well. I'm, things are not right between God and myself. If you wish, the communication is not what it should be, and therefore he calls for the elders. So as I said, the elders are to pray. They are to anoint him with oil. In, in preparing the sermon, I came across something I must have read, I don't know how many times, it's in... Uh, Mark chapter 6, when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, sends them out on mission. They drove out many demons, so far so good, and anointed many people with oil and healed them. For some reason that had just gone by me all these years, that there is in fact the practice of anointing someone who is ill. Um, are the elders supposed to do anything else? Or are they supposed to lay hands on this person? We're not told. Is the sick person to confess his or her sins to the elders? We are not told that either. Um, are the elders supposed to ask, have you sinned? We're not told that either. Simply the person, ask them to join the conversation. Pray with me to God that there would be healing. And the result is that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. It is worth noting 
this expression, the prayer offered in faith, the prayer of faith, is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. And the word that James uses for prayer, this is the only time it's found in the New Testament. Now, prayer, there are other words for it, but he, he uses a word that is quite unique. And why does he do this? First of all, James' Greek was quite good. Okay? He knew exactly what he was doing. I think, in fact, he's trying to get the attention of his readers. He's trying to get our attention to let us know that we are to join in the conversation. The elders join in this conversation. I think this is something that we miss when we read this passage, that it is, in fact, the elders joining the dialogue, joining the conversation in prayer. This thought continues in verse number 16. And here it's not the elders, but it is brothers and sisters or friends. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Again, James brings in the possibility of other people joining the conversation. One might ask, does James have something specific in mind? Is there a specific situation that he has in mind? And I think he does, so we need to really be careful here. I don't think he is speaking of um, confession and like, here, let me tell you all my sins. Let me tell you what I've been doing wrong. I think he's speaking here of confessing if you have sinned against another person, against a brother. And in being reconciled, that person joins with you in the conversation as you confess not only to this person, but to God as well. The idea that we should, in fact, pray, or let me start over. The fact that we should confess our sins to one another is not something that is necessarily commanded in Scripture. We need to be very careful about that. And it is not what James is saying. James is not speaking of a congregation getting together and one by one everyone stand up and confess the sins that they have committed. Okay? Rather, it is the person who has sinned against another person confessing to that person, I have sinned against you. Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have something against your brother and you go to the altar and you're like, I've sinned against my brother. You leave your gift there and go and be reconciled. James here tells us something else. You be reconciled and you pray together. That person joins you in the conversation of prayer. There may be a time when a person will confess to the whole congregation, but that's when he or she has sinned against the whole congregation. It's not simply, here, let me... You know, this cathartic, let me just get this off my chest. Uh, this is when you have sinned against someone specifically. So there is confession, there is prayer, and there is reconciliation. If you read the book of James, James is very, very concerned. He's a pastor. He's very concerned about the fellowship, the relationships of the various members in the congregations. So James looks for three things. There should be repentance. There should be penitence, remorse. There should be reconciliation. 
Reconciliation is more difficult, I think, than we imagine. There's one thing that hinders both parties, and that's pride. The person who has sinned against someone, you have to swallow your pride, get rid of your pride, and say, I have sinned against you, and I am sorry. Please forgive me. On the other hand, the person who has been sinned against may be filled with pride and say, yeah, I'm not sure I want to forgive you. I'd rather hang on to this grudge for a while. But then they pray. There is prayer. And this prayer, in fact, is a joining together of at least two individuals in a conversation that God initiated. That God has spoken to this person's heart and said, what you've done is wrong. It may be through scripture that the person has read and said, I've sinned against my brother. God initiates it, and then the brother and the two brothers, or the brother and sister, whatever it may be, in fact, come together and are reconciled in prayer. The breach is healed. Now we come to the fourth section, and James comes full circle. He He ends up where he started with, and that is God initiates prayer. It actually begins, I think, in chapter well, chapter 5, verse 16, the second half of the verse. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I think it's really important to James, it should be to us, that we need to believe that prayer is the right response to our problems even the really, really serious problems, not just the light ones, okay? I think we may have the opposite problem. We think that, yeah, of course we pray about the big things, but the little ones who don't. No, we are to respond in prayer. And that prayer has the power to heal those who are sick, those whose relationships have been broken. It can, in fact, bring healing. It can heal the breach between brothers, brothers and sisters. To drive this home, he tells us the story of Elijah. Okay. Let me just say this it's somewhere in my notes, but I'll, I'll. The people to whom James wrote knew the Old Testament. Go back to the first verse. He's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered, he's writing to Jewish Christians. They know the Old Testament. Um, many people, well, commentators have complained why doesn't James? quote from the Old Testament more. Book of Romans, Paul quotes from the Old Testament at least 60 times. Why doesn't James? I would say James doesn't because he doesn't have to. His readers know the Old Testament. He brings up characters that they know and just tells us a little bit. So even what he tells us about Elijah isn't very much. James is the only one who mentions Job as an example of perseverance. James knows that his readers will fill in the blanks. He's not writing to Gentiles who don't know the Old Testament. He's writing to Jews who hear the Psalms, they hear the prophets read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Okay? He lays down three principles here. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, which I'm convinced are really misunderstood. First of all, that 
prayer has great power, that somehow inherently or built into prayer is this powerful aspect. Um, the word that James uses point to a strength which makes one sufficient for the task. You are potent, you have powerful prayer. Um, the second thing he says is that prayer is effective. It gets things done. So it is powerful and it is effective. It solves problems. But let me ask you, why does p- prayer have great power? If, I mean, that's what James seems to be saying. Why does prayer have great power? And why is prayer effective? Again, it seems that James is saying that it does. What is prayer? Prayer is speaking to God. In response to God speaking to us. Do you imagine that prayer resides in the person praying? Oh, that person's a prayer warrior. They've got great faith. Their prayers are powerful. You want to get something done, you need to ask so-and-so to pray, and their prayers are powerful and effective. I'd say no. There are people who I think are prayer warriors. There are people who pray, and it does seem that things happen, but it is not because of them. It's because of the person who initiated the conversation. That's God. That's why prayer is powerful. If God is speaking to us, either in his word or through circumstances, or he speaks to us directly, and we respond in prayer, that prayer is going to be powerful because God began the conversation. And then he says, you know, the prayer of, is, is powerful and effective, that of a righteous man. Well, I don't know about you, but it's like at this point, I'm like, well, then that's not me. Uh, I'm not a righteous man. There's none righteous, no, not one. What does he mean by this? Well, he's not speaking of moral perfection, okay? He is speaking of someone who has integrity, someone who is human, but by the grace of God is more than that. And that's why he brings up Elijah. Again, if you don't know the Old Testament and you're reading this, you're thinking, I want to be like Elijah. Um, Well, you know what? Elijah was a man just like us, James tells us. He is subject to the same emotions, the same weaknesses, um, the same nature. His readers would know the story of Elijah, particularly that which is recorded in 1 Kings 17 and 18. He could be fearless could be amazingly fierce and within the same day become a coward and run away because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. On Mount Carmel, two altars were built, one for Baal, for Baal, and one for Jehovah. And Elijah said, let's see who will send down the fire. Elijah let the others go first, 450 prophets of Baal. They prayed and prayed. They began to cut themselves to bleed to somehow get Baal's attention. And finally, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, covered the uh, the wood and the 
the bull with water until the trench was filled with water. And then he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then we are told that fire came down from heaven and burned up the sacrifice, the altar, and all the water that was dried up. And yet, that evening, Queen Jezebel, when she heard about it, said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Because the people had killed the 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel's like, I'm coming for you. And so he ran. And then he began to despair. And the next time we hear Elijah praying, he says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Kill me. Just end my life. The man who had prayed this great prayer on Mount Carmel is now saying, God, I want you to kill me. And then he's filled with self-pity. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. What this tells us is that Elijah is just like us, an ordinary man. But there was faith in his life. Not perfect faith. One might say not even great faith. He was a man of prayer. Even if that prayer was, I'm done, kill me. If you read 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, you will find the beginning of the story of Elijah in terms of prayer. Let me read it to you. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. In other words, no rain, no moisture. I'm speaking, it's not going to happen. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. And we have the story of how the Lord told him to hide in a particular place and ravens brought him food and there was a brook there so he had water. Then the brook dried up. The ravens didn't come anymore. He went to a widow, asked her for food. She being like most widows at that time, quite poor, said, listen, I've got enough for myself and my son. I'm going to bake this and then we're going to die. And Elijah said, no, make me some food. And she did and she was supplied miraculously by God throughout that whole famine. Before the events of Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18.1, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. I want you to know something here. In neither place, 17.1, that's when there's no more rain, to 18.1, when rain is coming, in neither place are we told that Elijah prayed. Neither place. James tells us he did. 
But in 1 Kings 17 and 18, we are not told that at all. We are not told that he prayed it would not rain. Certainly not earnestly, as James tells us. We are not told that he prayed it would rain. But this is what James tells us and what he tells his readers. Is he mistaken? Has he made a mistake? No. The point of the Elijah story is that prayer, which is powerful, is powerful because it begins with God. So if you go to 1 Kings 17, 1, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, it's all about God. And then in 18.1, it is the Lord who says, I will send rain on the land. So it's not, up, it's not on Elijah. We shouldn't imagine, boy, if I could just be like Elijah, I could pray for anything and it would happen because he prayed earnestly. Maybe that's my problem. I haven't been praying earnestly. Um, it's interesting that King James has a center note that says he prayed in his prayer. I think the point is not what we would say. The ESV has fervently. Somehow we imagine you just have to really, really try hard as you pray. No, you pray. He prayed in his prayer. He just prayed. And it was a response to God. It was a recognition that the creator, the Lord of this universe, has begun a conversation And this is what James is trying to get across as he closes out his sermon. We are to be patient. We are to pray. Recognizing that prayer is something that begins with God. So are we afflicted? Nothing happens apart from God. We just finished the book of Job. If you're afflicted, God is speaking, you should pray. Are things going well? End of Job. You should sing songs of praise. But it's not just you. Very privatized, it's me and the Lord, we're just having this conversation. Others may join in in the conversation. It might be the elders, it might be someone you've offended. It isn't simply you and God, it may be, but others can join in the conversation. And that's why in our worship, we have a time when we speak of the needs in our lives and the lives of others. And thanksgiving in our lives and the lives of others. That's why Lonnie sends out the prayer list, so that each of us may join in on the conversation of prayer for the needs in that particular person's life. James wants us to know, things are good, respond in praise. Things are not good, things are bad, respond in prayer. You will notice, and we looked at this last week, that before he gets to prayer, James talks about patience. And I think this is important because I, I suspect, I could be wrong, that we think it's either or. That I'll just be patient and then God will do whatever needs to be done. Or I don't need to be patient, I can just pray and pray and pray earnestly, as James tells us, and then God will respond. And I think what James wants us to hear is that we are to be patient and we are to pray. Patience is not passive. We saw that last week. It's active. We are to be actively patient. And how are we actively patient? We pray. 
And we are to be patient in our prayer. So when we pray, it's like, right now, I want this right now. No. Pray, and we are to pray in patience. Patience and prayer go together. Prayer is to minister to us the experience which requires patience. And patience sustains us as we seek to engage in prayer. James gives us models here. He gives us instructions. We are to recognize that prayer begins with God. We are now at the beginning of 2021. And we are in the midst of a pandemic. Are we not to pray? Have we not thought for a moment that God is in control? That this pandemic is in fact his doing? He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get the world's attention. He's beginning a conversation. He's speaking and speaking and speaking. And are we responding in prayer? As I said, God speaks to us. He opens a dialogue either with words, with circumstances, or with scripture. Well, I think our circumstances, circumstances would seem pretty dire. Yeah, I think God's speaking. And we are to respond in prayer. And we are to join the conversation of others. So as I pray with regard to the pandemic, it isn't just Damon talking to God. It is Damon and those who join in the conversation, my brothers and sisters who join in, who say, deliver us from this pandemic. May you be glorified in all that is done. So as the year begins, let us recognize, perhaps in a new and a deeper way, the importance of prayer and the recognition that God's speaking to us if we would but listen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful that you do speak to us. We confess we aren't always listening. We're not always sure it's you that's speaking. You've given us your word to speak to us. We often ignore that. Perhaps in dire circumstances, we might come to see that you are speaking, but we still might not be listening. Here we stand at the beginning of a new year Circumstances are pretty dire, perhaps not in our individual lives, but certainly in this city, this county, this state, this nation, the world. We are to respond in prayer. We have much to be thankful for, and we, we sing songs of praise in that regard. But there are many needs, many needs. May we join in the conversation that you have begun. Pray for one another. 
pray for those in need. And recognize that the power and the effectiveness of prayer is not from us. It's from you. How can a conversation with the Lord God Almighty not be powerful? And yet we confess our prayers some, well, often, not most of the time, are quite weak, feeble. Almost like Elijah saying, I'm done, just, just get it over with. But Paul tells us that the Spirit is there praying with us. He's able to put into expressions we don't understand our greatest needs. We don't know oftentimes what we should pray for. So how can prayer not be powerful and effective? If you are speaking to us and the Spirit through us with the Lord Jesus interceding speaks back to you. May we listen for your voice. May we pray for one another. May we be filled with praise. I thank you that on this first day of a new week, we could gather to worship you. For those that are at their homes, may they have a special sense of your presence even there. For each one of us, as we walk through the world in the coming week, may we have a true sense that you are with us, talking to us, and we need to listen. May your spirit and your grace go with us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.